Good night from 1996. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe Two. And this episode's brought to you by Bed Bath & Beyond, where you can find all your memory foam kitchen mats. From the chateau, to the fruity tiles, to the apple orchard, 30-inch by 18-inch anti-fatigue kitchen floor mats are there for a good price. Shout out to Bed Bath & Beyond. Well, shout out to Bed Bath & Beyond, and shout out to Christian Larson, the patron of ours and friend of ours who sponsored this episode. He will be joining us after the break to talk all about the Long Kiss Goodnight. But Joe, extracurricular activities, as always, coming up first. What have you done since we last spoke? I've been catching up on 90 Day, catching up on Love After Lockup, watched uh, Mama's Boy... On t- so like lots of trash TV and that's about it. We're gonna get a lot of snow. So we were talking before we started. We're about to get dumped on apparently. Yep. Rachel and I are just like preparing for being home, which is wildly different than it has been all year. Yeah, right? yeah I know. Yeah, I'm so excited to have a day that I can work from home. Right? I mean, like, well, actually, I've been going to work every day, but yeah, <laughs> not not wildly different than normal. Like we, Rachel went to the store today while I was at work and like got a bunch of stuff to make like a bunch of soups. So we'll be like just hanging out and cooking. And tomorrow's her birthday too. So it's actually kind of a good thing that it's going to snow on her birthday. It gives me an excuse to hang out with her on her birthday. Well, if tomorrow is Rachel's birthday, that means that yesterday was my birthday. Yes, happy birthday. Thank you so much. Uh, My sister drove up from Texas, which I knew. It wasn't a surprise. She was coming up for Christmas, so she came up on Monday, and she was here, and she surprised me with my favorite barbecue from Texas, with Rudy's, which is gas station barbecue. She bought so much food. I probably have two or three meals in addition to what we all ate last night. She's a vegetarian, but my parents both had stuff and I had stuff and like I have so much leftovers left it's the best and she could have some sides I'm sure right like oh yeah she has she loves the side she had a bunch of sides last night she made mac and cheese it was all good uh she has done this before she flew up with it one time and I genuinely had no thought that she was going to do it again like my mom had asked me like because I went over to my parents house because they live nearby and they weren't supposed to be around they were supposed to be in texas by now but you know covid whatever and so i went over there for for birthday dinner and she had asked me like what do you want me to make or what do you want us to get and i was like i don't know i'll think about it but like i just slipped my mind that i didn't have a good answer then she just stopped asking and i was like <laughs> I, I bet she just is gonna make something she knows what i like and whatever right so yeah she's of course gonna make a meal and then i get over there and she my sister had bought they sell, apparently sell at Rudy's a tablecloth that looks like the tablecloth that they oh, have at the restaurant. That's so So cute. that's on the dining room table, and then she has all the meat. Like, $100 probably or more in Texas. Like, I just know what Rudy's cost. And, like, yeah. when she and I go, it's, like, 40 bucks for the two of us, even though she's not eating any meat. And, like, it was for four of us, and there's so much extra. So, like, so much. Like, a delicious amount of food, and it was great. That's awesome, dude. You know that I'm not a big Instagrammer, right? Like, I don't, I don't even open the app. Oh, but our friend Kate did say she saw the thing. Did you look when she said the thing? Yes. So when when our other friend Kate had messaged you happy birthday yesterday and she mentioned that she saw this, oh, this giant pile of Rudy's, I was like, what is she talking? She's like, I saw it on your Instagram story. And I was like, oh, and then I went and watched your Instagram story to see it. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. So yes, I, I was privy to it before you told this story. The, one of the big stories this year in terms of uh, the hundreds of big stories that we had this year, but there was concern. There still is concern, I guess, but we were less concerned now that we're after the election about like the post office not being able to do their stuff, right? Because like they were removing yeah. post office boxes, all this different stuff, right? Yeah. Election came and went. That all went smoothly enough. We're fine. I, in the last week or two, because I've been buying stuff for myself, buying stuff 
stuff for friends, family, whatever, like, you know, gifts, just ordering stuff. Because I saw a tweet that was like, there's only two types of days in pandemic. Days where you get a package and days where you don't get a package. And like, that's the only difference. Like, do I get something in the mail? Like, did I buy something? Did it come? That's the only difference, really, right? I ordered a bunch of stuff, especially around Black Friday. I ordered AirPods on Black Friday because they were on deep discount. I had a bunch of rewards saved up. And so I got them for like 40% of what, like out of pocket, I paid 100 bucks for these things that are normally 250 I was like, cool, great. Deal. Nice. They were a little bit delayed. They backordered. I was like, that's fine. I'm not in a rush to get them. Amazon finally sends them. Package gets lost. And I was like, Dude. cool. So I chat oh. with Amazon and I'm like, hey, I never got this. And like, it's not like I got porch pirated. Like, it's just like your package may have been lost. And I was like, okay. So Amazon's like, Okay, uh, we're going to resend it. The only issue is that the AirPods aren't going to be in stock for two weeks, and the movie that you ordered with it is not going to be in stock for three weeks. And I was like, well, that's not great. They're like, we can give you a refund. I was like, no, I don't want a refund because I, my I paid the price, right? Like, I don't want to get $100 back on the thing that's normally 250 right? So, like, whatever. Yeah. So they resend the package. I'm like, cool, fine. And it comes actually way, way quicker. Like, it's supposed to take two or three weeks, and, like, uh, four days later, they're like, hey, your package shipped. I was like, great. That package gets delayed. And I was like, oh, my, are you good? <laughs> Is this going to get lost too? It was, only, it was only a day, but like it went through that same thing where it's like delivery date the 13th and then it's, yep. oh, it's going to show up between the 14th and the 16th. Like we're so sorry. And then actually on the 14th, it's like, okay, it's out for delivery or whatever. Yep. But like that messed up. And then like two or three other packages I had, none got lost. It was like a day or two where I was just like, it's just not here. I think it's not a big deal because it's not urgent, whatever. I bring this all up to say that the only thing I really wanted for my birthday, and I got some very nice gifts, and uh, I got the new Cyberpunk game, which is apparently terrible on PS4, but uh, on the next, on the new, new console, it's yeah, fine. The only thing that I wanted for my birthday was what? Tenant on Blu-ray, because I was like, I've waited six months to see this movie. Oh, yeah, that's right. It came out yesterday. I asked my parents, I'm like, this is really all I want. I mean, you can get me whatever you want, but like, this is what I want, because I've waited for so long for this movie. I'm like, I want to wait, because I'm going to get the 4K disc, I'm going to watch it on my big-ass TV, yep. and I'm going to enjoy it. And then yesterday, my dad texts me. He's like, mom wants me to add the disclaimer that you're going to think we're joking, but the package is not going to be here till Friday. And I was like, I can wait. Like it was, but it's like the one thing that <laughs> I wanted. Intent. But they, they made the intent, right? Like that, no, they pre-ordered it. Like it came out yesterday, yeah. but like normally Best Buy is good about like release date delivery. I was like, that's yep. fine. I'll just get it the next time I go over there. Cause you know, my sister's home. We've all been quarantined. I'm going to go over there a couple more times before Christmas. Definitely. Yeah. They sent me a picture today that it came today, but I was like, it couldn't have been there yesterday. Release date. So like <laughs> I had this whole like plan. Like I was like, okay, I, I have a I don't know what, I, I know exactly what movie I'm going to watch tonight. I'm going to watch Tenet. I'm going to go over there, have a great time, have a good dinner, come back, watch the movie. And then I was like, I don't know what to do with my night. And I just sort of sat on the couch a little bit. I was like, I, I don't really feel like watching another movie. So like I read a little bit and then I went to bed. But I was just like, damn, man. Yeah, like in the grand scheme of things, totally irrelevant, totally fine. But like, damn it. I know, dude. It just little, little disappointments all around. Uh, consistent. <laughs> like that's, yeah. But it's it's here now, which is important. I'm going to get it the next time I see them. But yeah, I was just like, okay. Like I, in the grand scheme of things, I waited six months. It was supposed to come out in May and then July and then September or whatever. And I can wait a couple more days, but I was just like, the one, like the the only thing I wanted, but it's fine. It's fine. Okay. Yeah, we've been losing a ton of uh, packages at work, specifically like Apple packages. Like Apple's having this like crazy theft around the world. At the beginning of quarantine, my boss ordered an iPad and it got stolen. What's happening in our situation is that FedEx Ground, like Apple sends them FedEx Ground and says that they are delivered. But they're signed for by like somebody whose name is just like jumbles of letters. It's like XXXYX. Oh. And then I ordered another one for one of my coworkers. It was signed for by like DDAE. So it's like not a real name. And then FedEx is like, oh, like we've delivered this. And I'm like, no, but like, you know, 
I don't have it, right? It didn't come anywhere. Like, not to my shipping department, not to me. And I called Apple, like, yo, like, we never got this iPad. Because FedEx is like, fuck off. Like, you didn't, whatever, call Apple. I called Apple, and when I talked to the lady at Apple, she was like, this is very rampant right now. So I thought that maybe that's something that happened with your AirPods, you know? No, like, because it came, it, like, it comes in an Amazon package, too. Yeah, like, it's not true. it's not visibly Apple. Like, it could be any, like, useless household the shit, Apple right? ones, The Apple ones are really dumb. They're all in, like, the same size box with, like, the same stickers that say, like, lithium-ion battery, real big yep. on, like, the yep. same place. So it's like, if you did know, I can see how mm-hmm. this would be an easy target to steal, right? Like, I mean, the good thing about about Amazon too is that they take a picture of the package when it's delivered so like I always get like oh. a, it's been delivered and there's a picture of like the yeah. package on my front doormat or whatever so like I know it's there yes like I got my iPhone my new iPhone delivered and I didn't have an issue with that but yeah like there's I mean the funny side of that is that I saw a thing I think I may, I may even send this to you but like somebody got an Xbox delivered and FedEx just wrote PlayStation is better so like they, they knew what those boxes looked like too right yes like it was yeah exactly release day or whatever so crazy but thankfully People around here, at least the delivery people around here, are good. Aren't aren't stealing your packages and signing for them as a weird name, (laughs) pretending like you didn't get them? Yeah. Boy, oh boy. Um, We have a Patreon page on the show, TooFast2Forever.com. Shout out to Cassie Wilson, Jake Freer, Ben Milliman, Nick Burris, Alex Ellen, and Justin Kleinman, Brian Rodriguez of High School Slumber Party, Haley Gerbys, Wes Hampton, Christian Larson, Jerry Robinson, Dan the Duke Hayden, Renato DiDonato, Jessica Collins, a.k.a. Montez. Thank you all so much for supporting the $5 level or above. On Tuesday, we're going to be announcing some new Patreon perks and stuff, so stay tuned for that. And I also probably will have put up a post over the weekend explaining that to you, our fine, fine patrons, but too fast, too forever.com. If you want to get involved on a deeper level, too fast, too forever.com. We also have an email address, family at cageclub.me and Joe. We have one email today, and it's from okay. Jerry Robinson, who's been catching up on some Spy Racers. Okay. So, so I'm finishing up Spy Racers Season 2, and there are some fast connections that I noticed. So some of these we know. I think we talked about. Some of these are new. So here's what he's got. Okay. The name, obviously, Spy Racers Rio. Yep. And yeah. being in Rio, which, yeah, we talked about, Fast Five. Yep. Also, when Layla and Mind Controlled Ms. Nowhere were racing, they had bikes controlling traffic like Letty and Eight, which I think is a very good thing that we did not point out, I don't think. Oh, yes. We had kind of had to tiptoe around some stuff because they hadn't seen Eight yet. No, but even, like, I think when we did our own episode, I don't even think, because they were, you know, we did we talked about it without them, but, yeah, we didn't notice that. But the beginning of Eight, like that beautiful race down in Cuba in Havana, right? Like, it's, oh. that's, a, that's a good catch. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay, yes. He says, and by the way, they made Raphaela thick like, damn, son. <laughs> yeah, and she's back in the season three, apparently, right? We saw her in the preview for it, so. Yeah, mm-hmm. Shout out Raphaela, I guess. <laughs> I really liked her character a oh, lot. She's great, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a fun character, so I'm glad that they brought her back. That'll be cool. I'm very interested to see what they do with uh, with this season, right? Like, What we saw was kind of like, well, Fuck, I forget her name. What's her name kind of takes over Mrs. Nowhere's... Yeah, Echo. Yeah, like... Echo, Echo. But I think it it almost feels like... And we talked about this, like, it feels like kind of the end. It also sort of feels like an all-stars season. Like, you know how, like, in reality shows and whatever, they have, like... A couple seasons, they're like, hey, here's all your favorites back, and kind of feels like kind of a button on that, so I don't know. I agree, but there's only there's only two before it, so I think, but like we said, I it, from the looks of the preview, it looks like three is kind of pivoting to be like, okay, now we can kind of be our own thing type situation, yeah. branch out a little bit, so that'll be cool. That was all the emails for today, family at cageclub.me. You know, the, the mailbag has been, the mailbox, whatever you want to call it, has been a little light lately, but it's the holidays, and so if you want to email in family at cageclub.me, send us a note. We got um, also um, We have been getting messages, though. Our buddy Emerson sent us a message, and he was, like, just uh, picking up some toy stuffs, so... 
Oh, cool. Yeah, so he was just letting us know. Um, I definitely see the messages and reply to you guys. Oh, and um, and Alex was messaging me on Instagram. We had a like long conversation because my man Timothy Chalamet was on SNL this weekend. Yeah, like you never you never check Instagram, and I, I never got a do. notification and just said tell Joe because I think he knows that you know I've I've talked to him on there before or whatever. He's like tell Joe that his boy is hosting SNL. And like I didn't yes. even look it up. I just sent you a screenshot. I was like here you figure this out. And then I see like I just get like a bunch of push notifications from Alex. I'm like I got to mute this. I got to mute notifications. From Sorry, from Instagram. Front. No, 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 it's fine. We usually don't get messages there, so I just like didn't. And then yes, I finally looked it up. I was like, oh, that's not at all who I thought, but also makes absolute total sense. Yeah. So Timothy Chalamet was on, and we were talking, and we were doing fun time um, mind activities. Of we were talking about if they would make a dark and brooding version of SpongeBob SquarePants, where Timothy Chalamet was Squidward, with like a dark drug habit, and it was like this very hyper realistic. SpongeBob, and it just went off the rails. But that was a fun thought experiment. He was cracking me up. So we get the messages. Look, this is gonna sound weird, but like, look, the emails come to Joey, right? And he reads them on here. If you send like a Facebook Messenger message, I'm usually the one reading the Facebook Messenger messages, right? Yep. And if it's like Instagram, then it's, it's usually, usually me. And Twitter is either one of us. And Twitter is either one of us. Yes, exactly. So keep that in mind to direct it. You, you obviously don't have to start a new social media or anything, but just like, it was cool that Alex was like, yo, tell Joe this because he knew that like, I wouldn't have seen this otherwise. So thank you. It's also just very funny that like, when he thinks of Timothy Chalamet, he thinks of you. Like that's I know. a weird, I know. like I, it makes sense, but it's also like insane. <laughs> I know because if like, you, you know my taste and everything, right? So like anybody linking Timothy Chalamet, who's like a really good actor to me is really weird, but yes, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Shout out to everybody. And also, also one other thing, we had one more sale. Somebody bought a sticker at the store. It's like, you made a sale. It's like, oh, cool. It's like one sticker. It's like, cool. So whoever out there bought that, thank you so much. I think the sales may be going on right now. Like, I just tweet about it. Like, again, we have no control over the store. Too fast, too forever dot shop. But if you want to buy merch or whatever, you can go there. T Public just sets the prices. So I just tweeted out a thing. Hey, it's the last sale of the year. That's what they told me. And somebody bought a sticker. So thank you to whoever bought the sticker. Yes, thank you. We don't even have the information on who it was. So if you're out there, send us pictures of your stickers. They don't even tell us that. So the only way that we know that you guys are getting stuff, like Wes sent us a picture, Justin posted a picture. That's the only way we know that you you guys are getting stuff and who's getting it because they don't tell us that either. So. Oh yeah. By the way, I'm wearing my new design, my new logo today in my, in my blue shirts. It's very comfortable. Very nice. Awesome. There's a pro tip. And this again, we do not make, we make Maybe make a dollar more. Like they're more expensive. I'm not saying this because we make more money. Because again, not a profit-making venture. No. It'd be cool if we made money. We're not right now. But <laughs> the shirts on T Public are like the default are fine. But if you click the drop down, like different so- styles or whatever, there's like the soft one, which I think is an extra like six bucks or something that we get an extra one dollar of. Because I guess the shirt just costs more. But like it's really comfortable. So if you want to upgrade to the higher thing, it's a couple a more bucks. One. But when I bought when I bought the other one, like the tester one, I think I just bought a regular one. The soft ones are definitely worth the extra couple bucks because they are very comfortable i'll get those next oh we also if you're if you're out there and you've not reviewed us yet please review us on itunes or wherever apple Podcasts, wherever you review us spotify doesn't do reviews i think other places don't do reviews so like i think most people listen on spotify from what i understand from the metrics so like if you can't you can't but you know we'd love to hear if you hear from you if you haven't done so yet yeah please joe on the streets is there any news about the fast and furious that has come out in the last couple of days Jason sent us a story that was a news story that was about 
Paul Walker turned down this role. Yeah, I think it was Superman, right? It was, wasn't it Aquaman or something? It well, was... he was supposed to be Superman. It was in the documentary right. that we did in the last That's what line, I'm saying. And he didn't want to get typecast, and then he, you know, became Brian O'Connor for tw- for the last 15 years of his life, right? So. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So that's that was the latest thing that I saw. Arc 2 with Vin Diesel parking dinosaurs, which we talked about. We yep. talked about the Jungle Cruise with The Rock. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything that, again, you know, these three days and nothing's going on in the world of, you know. We got Gal Gadot movie coming out in a week, right? Next next Ooh, Friday on right. Christmas, we've got Wonder, uh, Woman. Yeah. Wonder Woman 84 on HBO Max if people want to watch that, but that's all we got. Yeah, no new, no new news right here. So the final thing to do, and again, this might be the shortest segment of these ever. This is a very breezy intro, oh, so we're going to yeah. get you right to Larson and Long Kiss Goodnight. We have to talk about the deleted scene, the Fast and Furious deleted scene, original edit of the Ferrari scene, parenthetical, extended scene. <laughs> Someplace on the beach. Hey, right on. Nice car. What's the retail on one of those? More than you can afford, asshole. Ferrari. 255000 all cash. Ooh. One IPO. Here we go. Let's go. Smoke them. So in this deleted scene, Dom and Brian are... At a, I, I wanted to go even further in depth with the plot and overview because, like, it's a scene we've already seen. There's just, like, a one line of dialogue that's different. But, like, I wanted to be very specific about this because I just thought it was funny to be, like, hyper aware of, like, what this is about, even though we all know this scene inside and out. Yes. So, in this deleted scene, Dom and Brian are at a stoplight next to a couple in a Ferrari. Brian asks the Ferrari's driver about his car and gets a snarky response. Dom gives Brian the, ahem, green light. So it's an alternate version of Minute 67. As you just heard, there's a worse version of the line, woman credited as just Ferrari passenger. Yes, who might be from Gone in 60 Seconds. She's the woman having sex in that glass house. Yeah. Uh, She has a line, which is exciting. You know, people get cut out of movies all the time. She didn't get cut out of this one, but her dialogue got cut out. So do you know, I I wish I knew, maybe it's the Taft? Half Taft? Taft-Hartley. Taft-Hartley, I think. Where, like, if you have five lines in a TV show or a movie, you get, like, automatic entry into the Actors Guild, I think. Like, they have to... People can't just join. Like, you have to be on a project that's, like, accredited or whatever. So sometimes, like, if I was making a movie and you're like, I really want to break in and be an actor, but, like, nobody knows who I am, I cast you in the thing, give you five lines, you're automatically inducted, and then you can sort of, like, jumpstart you on this path that, like, I don't know all the details, but, like, it's a thing in Hollywood. So, like, one line doesn't matter because if it's below five, it just can be anybody. Like, that's fine. Yeah. But five and above, it, like, enters into a different echelon. So it's not like this woman had five lines. She had one line, right? And she was just, like, a favorite whoever. But, like, it would have been really bad if she had, like, five different lines and they all got cut and just, like, well, that was my opportunity, so. That was her shot, yeah. Did you notice anything new in this? I hate to say this, but absolutely not, dude. It's the exact same clip as Minute 67, just extended just a hair because they just cut the dialogue right before he finishes the sentence. I was looking for new angles, new any... There's nothing new besides the dialogue in this scene. The next one we're doing is the original edit of the Race Wars fight scene, which I think is a little bit different, but that's again going to be kind of underwhelming. But then, like, we have four more deleted scenes that are all worthwhile. And then I think, unless I miscalculated, I'm pretty sure when we start lap eight, we're going to start the turbocharged prelude, which is kind of cool. Like, it's oh, right cool. around that timing. Not done intentionally, that's just how it shook out. But we're going one at a time, and this is kind of an underwhelming one. But you all know it. If you've never heard it before, you've now heard it, how disappointing asshole. it is. Asshole, not pal. That would change the whole thing, because, like, people quote that 
more than you can afford, pal, all the time. One IPO, here we go. God, that would be so awful to hear. Very I'm so cool. glad they cut that. Anything else to say of note before we take a break and bring in friend and patron Christian Larson? I really, really enjoyed the movie that we're about to talk about, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Oh yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, pause this and go watch it. Yeah, like, you know, we don't do that often. Like, a lot of the times you can get away with just, like, listening to the episode without watching it. But if you are a fan... Okay, this is the best way to do it. If you're a fan of Die Hard and you like Christmas movies and you like action movies, and you like 90s action movies, this movie is fucking awesome, and I can't believe I hadn't seen it before we watched it for this, so yeah. that's just my recommendation. So I, don't, I don't think it's streaming for free anywhere. Actually, I don't know if I looked this up, because I have it on Blu-ray. It's not streaming for free anywhere, but you can rent it just about anywhere for three or four bucks, so it's a fun if you're looking Christmas for... Movie. Like yeah. Joe said, a seasonally appropriate, fun, over-the-top 90s action movie. Go check it out, or don't. Just pause, or just keep playing, and we'll come back right after this break and talk to Christian Larson all about the long kiss goodnight. This is episode number 153, The Long Kiss Goodnight. This episode is brought to you by Bed Bath & Beyond, where you can find all of your memory <laughs> foam kitchen mats, because that's something a chef would do. Shout out to Bed Bath & Beyond, and welcome <laughs> back to the show, and shout out to patron Christian Larson, who supported us on Patreon.com, and also picked this movie for us, and now welcome a different person altogether, guest Christian Larson. Hello, Larson. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, it's so great to be here. I haven't uh, chatted with both of you guys since we did uh, Fast and Furious 4 way back in the day. Uh, yeah. I think on your like second or third lap, maybe. But It's um, been a while. Yeah, yeah. it's been a, a little bit. I mean, we've done so many episodes, but it was one of those things where, you know, we knew we needed to get you back and you picked this movie. And I know you are Mr. Christmas. And so I wanted to have <laughs> you on because this is a movie that I had warned Joe. Joe, it's great. What? You're going to like it? Yes. And uh, I wanted to have you on because, again, Mr. Christmas. I, I mean, not only am I Mr. Christmas, but uh, I'm also Mr. Shane Black. Because yep. if, if there's two things I love, it's Christmas and old school action movies. And nobody brings those two things together like Shane Black. This is my favorite Shane Black movie, uh, which is saying something because they're all great. I wanted to go through because the thing with Shane Black is that all of his movies contain the same elements yeah. or, or at least many of the same elements but yet each one feels completely unique and and i wanted to go through my list of shane black elements and and maybe and you guys could give your take on how they apply to this movie yeah for sure so just as a quick refresher i think i mentioned this at the end of the last episode yeah but shane black not the yeah, last episode last week at the end of the last week, when we announced this movie, so Shane Black has written The Nice Guys, Iron Man 3, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Lethal Weapon, Monster Squad, The Last Boy Scout, Last Action Hero, The Predator. So like like Larson was saying, there are definitely elements that cross over all of those. But just to have a sort of a baseline of where where we're coming from, who he is as a writer, that's kind of the sense of like sort of hard-boiled, tough dudes. But I don't want to jump ahead. Larson, what's on your list? What's, yeah, what yeah, are the yeah. hallmarks of a Shane Black film? So number one, mismatch partners. 
What did you guys think about the the mismatch partners in this film? You mean having Samuel Jackson and Gina Davis be like, yeah, like the goofy cops and nice guys. Yeah, um, I love it. These two work really well together, and I would never would have put them together ever. I think what sort of struck me as weird early on in it. So, as a quick baseline for this movie, we start with Gina Davis, and she opens in the opening monologue. Oh, yes, she yeah. says, "I was born eight years ago," and she's driving down the street as Mrs. Claus and waving to the people. I was born eight years ago. Whoever I was before that, I don't remember who I am. Again, amnesiac. I will say that Joe, I was shitting on Shutter Island for like the Andrew Latis, whatever, whatever, and Shutter Island is truth and lies. Uh, yes. Sam Kane is an anagram of amnesiac, which is like, ugh, bleh, bleh, bleh. <laughs> oh, But like, other than that, that like, I, I don't have anything other bones to pick with this movie, but like, so she is this housewife with a husband and a daughter and then she kind of things begin to return to her and she quickly realizes remembers that she was a former spy and kind of mercenary for the u.s government and she's actually this trained killer she kind of has to resume the mission that she was on when she lost her memory eight years ago so that's the baseline of what this movie is and so early on i was worried in your mismatched partners larson because there's there seems to be a discrepancy in power that we see Samuel L. Jackson, I want to talk about his introduction, but it seems like he's holding not just one over her, but like two or three over her. Like it feels like he has all the cards and she's this person, she's like a mark that he's taking advantage of. And so to team them up like that, it's like, this kind of feels a little icky because like he's just using her for money, right? He's, he's, she's an easy mark. But then once she gets the memory back, he like it inverses in a way that is like exponential where she is like so much more powerful than he is in just about every way that it kind of restores the balance to the movie. And so I was worried early on because like Joe said, you know, there's like the, the goofy partners and like the nice guys or whatever. In the end, I think they work well because like they're never equal and mm. most of the power eventually is in her court. I mean, out of all the Shane Black movies, I mean, you have Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans in The Last Boy Scout, yep. Gosling and uh, Crow in in The Nice Guys. Uh, you know, of course, you've got the Lethal Weapon guys. There's always mismatched partners, but like... You got Robert Downey and that little kid. <laughs> well, we'll get to little kids later. Uh, but uh, wait, that sounded weird. Anyway, but the chemistry between Gina Davis and Samuel L. Jackson, like not only do they have those usual back and forth barbs that you'd expect, but their relationship is a lot has a deeper element to it than some of the other action buddy cop movies. Like he sees in her that she, as Charlie Baltimore, this badass CIA assassin, she always kind of wanted that normal life the the husband and home and kids the entire course of the movie they have kind of a deeper relationship where he's sort of encouraging her to embrace this less self-destructive side yeah because like when she comes on to him right because he finds the torn up picture of her and her husband like the old her or the new her i don't know how you want to call it housewife her and he finds a picture of them torn up in the garbage and she comes on to him and he's like i know what you're doing you're trying to erase that part of her but like i like her better right so yeah i just think they're great especially in in the pantheon of shane black mismatch partners they're kind of my favorite so number two on the shane black list is a convoluted film noir style plot. Uh, so what did you guys think of the plot? I mean, it fits right in with his lap, right? I messaged you guys. I was 20 minutes into it, and I was like, this movie 
I don't know how Larson picked this because it was probably created for me in 1996 (laughs) today because this movie is just perfect. Like the plot is so weird and beautiful at the same time that I was like my brain, I was just glued to this movie. Like I had to like pause to like adjust my seat because I didn't want to miss anything. That's how (laughs) into it I was. It's hard for me to really say because I had seen this movie a couple times. I think I probably saw it once with you back in your parents' basement years ago. Sure. You kind of know, even if you've never seen it before, you know what's coming. Do you know that she's going to, like, it's an action movie, right? So, like, she can't just be a housewife. And then when she's dicing things and then throws a knife into the cabinet, you're like, oh, she's hiding things in there. So, like, you kind of know what's going to come, but still the emergence of her powers for lack of a better word, like a knifomancer. We have automancers, but like a <laughs> weaponmancer or something. I don't yeah. know. Like I just, because you don't have any idea of what's going on. And also it doesn't kind of really matter. It's just yep. like, they're bad guys. She's a good guy, ostensibly, right? Or at least yep. a hero of some kind, anti-hero, whatever. And we want her to win. All of these movies kind of follow the same sort of film noir plot where it's like the mismatch partners go and meet with an interesting character. That character leads them into a crazy situation. And then they meet another interesting character. At one point in the movie, they're watching an old Robert Altman movie uh, starring Elliot Gould. I, I've Oh, God, I forget what it's called. It's, it's like from the 70s, I think. Yeah. The Long Goodbye. The Long Goodbye. And, it, and it's, it's often been cited as an uh, inspiration for Tarantino, who I think you see a lot of Tarantino in this movie, and uh, The Big Lebowski in particular, but also Shane Black. But anyway, it, it all sort of follows that film noir. There's a convoluted scheme of some sort going on. Remember the scheme in The Nice Guys? I had to watch this movie about five times before I could actually figure out what was going on with the CIA and the, the president and everything else. It's, it's very convoluted, but it also has these crazy characters that, are, that appear every now and then, like you know her, her ex-handler, her ex-CIA handler, played by uh, Brian Cox, I believe. Logan Roy himself, yeah, man. Yeah, he's great. I love his line about the dog licking its own ass. (laughs) Like, whatever's up there has been dislodged by now, and if it hasn't, it's, you know, there's no... It's not coming out of whatever. There's no hope. That's that's the thing that I want to... I'm glad that you you quoted some of the dialogue, because, like, I don't think... It doesn't matter what's going on in this movie. Like, I don't think you need to understand the CIA. You You know that, like... Craig Bierko's a bad guy. David Morse is a bad guy. That, like, the president is kind of morally ambiguous or whatever. Yeah. The upper echelons of the CIA might even be corrupt themselves. But, like, what you're going to remember from this movie is the dialogue, is the Shane Blackness of it all. And I don't know mm-hmm. if that's another thing on your list, but, like... Oh, yeah. It's it's not the plot as much as... It's not, again, not the destination, but it's the journey. It's how yeah. we get there. It's, you know, I spent... You know, I, I would have been here earlier, but I was thinking about that ham on rye line. Like, there's just oh. the way that these characters, <laughs> and especially Samuel Jackson, and is able to, the actors, Samuel L. Jackson, like, are able to deliver the lines so convincingly, because, like, I don't want to say it's, like, Sorkin-esque in that you have to have, like, a certain kind of delivery, but, like, certain people do Shane Black better than others, and Samuel L. Jackson and Gina Davis both do a really good job of it. Yeah, I mean, I, we, I brought up Tarantino before, and one of the things about Tarantino or Shane Black that reminds me of Tarantino, especially in this movie, I mean, you have the the female protagonist who fights her way back from death several times, graphic violence, and uh, you have this dialogue that's, you know, what I call writer's dialogue. You're hearing the voice of the writer many times more than you're hearing the voice of the character. 
uh, unless it's a certain character. Like, I, I think it takes a certain character to make Tarantino dialogue sound natural. Christoph Waltz can do Tarantino dialogue and make it sound perfectly natural. In this movie, I think Samuel Jackson and Gina Davis definitely, it's writer's dialogue. Sometimes you hear it and it doesn't quite sound like things that normal people would say. And and you can really say that for any Shane Black movie. But I think the two of them pull it off real well. And I know that Samuel Jackson's come out and said, I think even last year, like as recent as last year, that this is his favorite character he's ever played. And I'm sure it's probably largely because of the fun that you're able to have with the one-liners and the quips and just the character building, right? Because you know exactly who this guy is from the time he shows up and just says ass-fucking like eight times in a minute. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. I, well, yeah, the next thing on my list was the, the one-liners, because yeah. all of his movies have them. You know, I wrote down two of my favorites, both said it uh, in the car. Samuel Jackson says, uh, are you cold? You can turn on the heat. Uh, it doesn't work, but it makes an irritating sound that, that <laughs> takes your mind off the cold. <laughs> And and there's another one where they're they're leaving Atlantic City, and she says, "I managed to escape Beirut. I can get out of anything." And he's like, "Well, many people have tried to get out of New Jersey and failed. Uh, the entire population, in fact." Yep. And <laughs> just just so great. Do you guys have any any one-liners you remember that you like? What are you doing over there? He's like dying, and he goes, "Continue dying." Yeah, yeah. That was one of my favorite. Over ones. the radio. Over the radio at the end. There's yeah. There's just so many good ones. Like yeah. I need to rewatch it for all the quotables because oh sure, it, it's yeah. incredible. Well, I think there's kind of at least there's probably more, but there's at least two different classes of the one line, like the lines that you remember. There's just like the witty repartee, like about the heater and stuff like that. And then there's just the what I would say for lack of a better word is the generic action one-liners, but sure. delivered in a way like at the end, die screaming motherfucker, or that's right, you can't kill me motherfuckers. Like, the way that they're able to take what are otherwise maybe grown-worthy lines, but they fit, because by that point you have such goodwill built up for the character and for the actor, they're like, yeah, she deserves that, like, corny, over-the-top end-of-an-action movie line. There's also as background, Joe, I don't know if you know this, Larson, I'm sure you do, but Gina Davis was married to the director Rennie Harlan at the time. They had just done a movie, Cutthroat Island, that bombed apparently uh. but they were trying to establish female action stars the two of them together so Rennie Harlan was making movies with her as the star and trying to establish her as this action lead and I've never seen Cutthroat Island I'm, I, I would assume Larson that you have just based on your encyclopedic knowledge of 90s action but like <laughs> it works so well here Shane Black has said in retrospect that because Cutthroat Island had failed so hard it seemed like people didn't want to give this movie a shot as much because like oh it's the same people trying to do the same thing it's probably not going to be good so Larson can you give us a quick overview like a rundown of like what went wrong maybe with Cutthroat Island honestly I've never seen it I, I really? just, you know, there are certain movies that were kind of a punchline on late night TV back in the day because they bombed. And a lot of them turned out to be great. You know, there were a lot of jokes about Last Action Hero, another Shane Black movie, actually. Yeah, um, okay. There were a lot of jokes about Joe versus the Volcano. A great movie, but it, it was a huge commercial bomb. About Joe vs. Volcano scared our friend Mike Manzi away from that movie for like a decade or more. Yeah, and me he's finally too. like, let me watch it. He loves it. Like, it's a great movie. Me too. And it was a punchline. It was literally like Jay Leno would end a joke with Joe vs. the Volcano. But these became punchlines because of their commercial failure. 
you know, unfortunately for Gina Davis, you know, one of the one of the best stories about this movie is that Rennie Harlan was infatuated with Gina Davis and thought she was going to be the one that sort of broke the glass ceiling for action movie stars, that she would finally be the female Schwarzenegger, the female Stallone, the female Van Damme. And both of her big action movies kind of bombed. And this was going to be Shane Black's kind of biggest commercial movie since Lethal Weapon. Um, and it bombed and Shane Black kind of toil- toiled in obscurity. When he did Iron Man 3, it was kind of, it was Robert Downey Jr. doing him a favor. Shane Black had done Robert Downey Jr. a favor and cast him in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang when he couldn't get a job in Hollywood. So this was going to be a big thing for Shane Black, and it was going to be a big thing for Gina Davis. And unfortunately, whether it was collateral damage from uh, Cutthroat Island, it didn't do as well as people thought. I don't want to say this movie is polarizing, because I think most people are, what I will say, on the right side of history with this one. The people who watch this and give it a chance are like, oh, this is great. But it's not as unanimously beloved as I think it maybe should be. And I don't know why. Like, I can't figure out why. Is it people who just see this as nothing more? Like, is it the tarnish or the stink from the commercial failure of the 90s that still carries on? Or do people just see this as like a generic act? Do you have any sense of why people don't unanimously... Like, this feels like the kind of movie that should be up there in the pantheon of like top 10 top 20 action movies of the 90s but like i don't think that it is not a lot of people have seen it even today i think it's one of these movies when you look back at movies like joe versus the volcano and last action hero they're complicated they're interesting they're unique it's the kind of thing that maybe turn off a a mainstream audience You know, there's a lot of movies where you look back and you're like, why didn't this get broader appeal? They make people think too much, you know, which is sadly almost always the answer. And, uh, you know, I think this is definitely the case. I think that's the reason Shane Black never really broke through is that his movies are not quite big, dumb popcorn action movies. I mean, he he knows how to do a big, dumb popcorn action movie and. You know, we'll get to that. Like, the action scenes are amazing. People look at it and they don't know what to make of it. I think there was also, and this is not necessarily to the public, but to the Hollywood side of it, that he was kind of seen as like a wunderkind. Because he, I think this was the first movie that was ever sold. The script was sold for like $4 million. Mm. And I think that people probably, and he said that other people kind of, what, what was the words? Let's see here. He admitted that this has caused a lot of envy among fellow screenwriters and accusations of commercialism. And so he voluntarily retired from the industry for as almost a decade till he comes back with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. But I can see that, like, you're this guy who created Lethal Weapon. You created, you know, Last Boy Scout. Like, you, you created all these movies that people love, but then you sell this movie for $4 million and people are like, oh, you're a sellout. And it's like, well, that's, that sucks. Like, that's not his fault that he wrote a thing that he's in demand. Yeah, I'm sure there was a lot. There were a lot of things with, you know, the writer's community since he was the hot big thing. But, like, that's the thing is that people, after the success, after his early successes, Hollywood was just throwing money at him. Kind of like Joe Esterhaus, the guy who wrote uh, all the erotic thrillers of the 90s and a lot of Verhoeven movies. Like, people were like, yes, we need another lethal weapon we need another basic instinct here's four million dollars you know and then after a while they kind of found out that he was not he was not financially viable 
What's the next thing on your list? The next thing on my list, it's a small one, but it's uh, it's pretty big. It's cigarettes. Yep. Uh, mm. there's, there's always at least one character who's constantly smoking cigarettes, and in this one, it's both. I have a cigarette once in a blue moon these days, but nothing made me crave one than watching Gina Davis and Samuel L. Jackson just suck them down. Uh, it's also a very film noir thing. I mean, I, I think even in the mid-90s, that kind of cigarette smoking was not as big as it was in, like, 1948, which is the stuff that Shane Black is kind of... You know, Shane Black has that, but Rennie Harlan apparently has characters drink Finlandia vodka in most or all of his movies, so mm. I guess they both got a vice that carries through? Well, I mean, maybe it, it, it could have been just sort of a tip of the cap to Rennie Harlan, who, being from Finland, is, is a big thing for him. He's very into being from Finland. Sure. Uh, in fact, his... His first movie before he really broke through, I'm always very fascinated with Cold War movies from the 80s where they make the Russians out to be like the most evil motherfuckers on the planet. Rennie Harlan was from Finland, uh, which, which bordered Russia, and there were a lot of Cold War tensions up there. He made a movie called Born American. It was 1986, and it's about a bunch of American uh, college kids who go on a hunting trip in Finland and accidentally cross the Russian border and run into the Soviet army, and they are the most sadistic, horrible people in the world. If you thought the Russians were evil in, like, Red Dawn, Rennie Harlan hated the Russians. His Finnish heritage is a big is a big part of it. So well, because it looks like he had like an interesting career. Because I had never heard of those that movie, or he did a movie called Prison, which is not very popular. It looks like then he did Nightmare on Elm Street Four, which okay, sure, whatever. Well, it's considered the best Nightmare on Elm Street. Is it the Dream Master? Oh no, Dream Warriors is considered. Oh yeah, the best. two, two or three, two and three are the ones that I think people really like. Four, I don't remember much about at all. I'm not a horror aficionado, actually. Which makes me kind of an outlier in the VHS collecting community, because I don't know shit about horror movies. Yeah, how dare you? I'm more of an action guy. According to Letterboxd, really quickly, the first one has a 3.8, which is pretty high. Then the second one has a 2.8. The third one has a 3.5. Dream Warriors is the big one. That's the okay. third one. Yeah. And then the fourth one, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, the Dream Master, is a 2.8. So yeah, he kind of gets like, you know, they make this great sequel and they hand it to him and he doesn't really deliver. And then he makes Die Hard 2 which seems like it's kind of out of nowhere but maybe he's just like a director on the rise i don't know how you get how do you, how does a guy like that land die hard 2 do you know that you know i really don't it, it, i mean it it seems like they were probably like john mctiernan maybe he was that was when he was arrested for tax evasion and they couldn't get him and they probably just had a list of directors like action directors you know, that's what happens to a lot of directors whose whose careers take off. Is, it is feels that. like, you know, what we see today with Marvel, right? Like, you make a movie like Cop Car, it's like, cool, make our Spider-Man movies, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. okay, John Watts, sure. Yeah, sure. Blockbuster tentpole franchises go from grabbing someone who's kind of in obscurity to be like, hey, direct this, like, $100 million movie. It's like, uh, okay. Yeah. But then he goes on to make Cliffhanger, and then, you know, the Gina Davis movies we talked about, but then Deep Blue Sea with Samuel L. Jackson and, you know, The Covenant, and kind of has sort of faded into obscurity after. I think Deep Blue Sea was his last gasp. You know, that might be because of uh, something I was thinking about, and I'd love to hear you guys take on this. This is the kind of action movie that you just don't get anymore. Movies today, 
every movie has to be a four quadrant movie. Every movie has to appeal to everybody. And I remember going to see Avengers, uh, not Endgame, but the one Infinity War. Yeah. And there's a scene where all the Avengers have these giant guns and they're gunning down row after row of these like CGI beasts of some sort. And I, I remember thinking to myself, this is so fucking violent. Like this is more violent than so many things I've seen. But it's okay because it's the Avengers and they're firing lasers instead of bullets and they're shooting these CGI beasts. It's clean. The violence is still there, but it's clean. This is dirty violence, you know? Like, there are shootout scenes where there are bystanders getting torn apart. There, There's a part where Samuel Jackson gets blown out the window of a motel and then through the motel sign. Beautiful. People get shot and it's like not cgi blood it, there's something very visceral about it that it's like never gonna happen again i, I and rennie harlan is probably a uh, relic of that time because everything is just it's just as violent but it's just squeaky clean i had the same thought watching it not so much like the action sequences itself but just like we won't get these movies anymore because i don't think that you can make an action movie that exists like we talk about this a lot like in this budget realm you're kind of like losing that like grittiness of action movies like they have to be a little bit bigger but you're right like the cgi part of it you're it's not it's not any more or less violent than the things we see now but it's just like we just change it to lasers and aliens and everybody's okay with it yeah well i think you just we just don't see r-rated action anymore right like everything is pg-13 because it's it's more commercially viable everything marvel for the most part is pg-13 and Every once in a while, you have a Deadpool that's like, oh, people will pay to see an R-rated movie, right? This also just fits right in line with all the 90s. Like, the 90s are just a glorious time of excess where budgets were big and the explosions were bigger and everything was bloody and everybody was swearing. And, like, so many of these things would never fit in, like, most studios cornered idea of like what is commercially viable today right so it's just a shame true well i i mean that leads me to the next thing on my shane blacklist elaborate action sequences with graphic violence you have that big shootout at the beginning where the guy shows up to her house uh oh yeah hiding behind the the carolers what are what are some of your favorite action moments from this i really like the first one because this did have like you mentioned it earlier it had a very tarantino kill bill fight in the kitchen type of feel to it right yeah at the very end when she sees the gun grabs the lights like cuts the guy so that she like shoots up the thing (laughs) grabs the gun in midair and shoots him in the helicopter like that's just brilliant like i was looking at rachel like you the whole play of it was so perfect that it's like yeah yeah, you can't beat stuff like that and like the intricacy of it i'm like i don't think that we get as much fun creative action stuff like this recently like i can't remember last time i was like watching an action movie like where it's unbelievable whatever but it's just so much fun no they're they're out there it's just not american movies like there's movies like the raid and the raid 2 and like, okay yeah there's a lot of movies dread like there's stuff that's out there but it's not the mainstream stuff but okay. that, her, her repelling down the lights at the end is straight out of police story like jackie chan's police story like he does that in a mall he goes down like three or four flights in a mall and then they show it from like four different angles because they're like this is the coolest fucking thing anybody's ever seen <laughs> we're gonna show you having sliding down the the, the lights in four different ways 
in that opening scene before they get to the kitchen, the opening fight before they get to the kitchen, when he blasts a hole in the side of their house with a shotgun, she throws her daughter through the hole to protect her. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. I like when they're in the hotel and they're running away and she shoots, like, the grenades on the floor, and so she shoots through their glass, and then as they're falling, she, like, oh, yeah. submachine guns through the frozen oh, lake classic. to fall into the lake. The wherewithal to know the surroundings like that's her cia killer brain yeah but still she looks like housewife gina davis i think at that moment like before the, the transformation right yeah, so yeah. it's just it's all just so good yeah i love the i love the part where she uh skates across the pond with a with a gun and then shoots the three guys in the car uh as she's skating across the pond just fantastic I, I don't know if this is on your list or not but i feel like the 90s were kind of a time of like how can we make an unconventional chase scene or action scene? And her strapping on ice skates to just keep up with cars is the coolest thing in the world. Apparently they wanted to like have her do like a double axle to nail it, but they couldn't CGI it enough. So they just didn't just kind of like (laughs) does like a hard pivot, like kind of a toe pick just to stop at the end there. But yeah, that's like the, it's, it's the the, kind of a low key action moment, but like maybe the coolest action moment this entire movie. Yeah. You were talking, you guys were both talking before about how she chops up the vegetables at the beginning. Uh, That's sort of like one of the first moments where her old CIA life is kicking in. As she's chopping up the vegetables, it's kind of played as a joke. Like the the husband and daughter are tossing her vegetables and you hear this super 90s like saxophone music playing. Yep. Yep. Like it's some wacky 90s moment and then she just flings the knife at the wall and it all stops. Like I love that <laughs> that sort of juxtaposition like you're in full house and now you're in Die Hard. It's even like in real life where like you're you're going around like you're just making jokes or whatever and then somebody says one thing you're like dude that was too far. And it's like it's it's never I don't think as clear as it is here. It's like hey we're all having a good oh, wait hold wait what? No, yeah. that's <laughs> you went you went too far. Like that you should know better than that. It's like yeah. well I like this is like a very clear fine line with a bullet like with a button just like do not throw a knife through a tomato with your daughter like under it essentially yeah yeah Yeah. well the the next thing on my list kind of a minor one there's always a corrupt official and i feel like this is part of the film noir thing because there's always a dirty a dirty copper a dirty politician and i think that's a big part of shane black's movies because the authority is always Part of the big twist at the end is always that the authorities are in on it. I like that, though. It was it felt very 90s. Blame it on the Muslim kid. And like, I'm like, yeah, we probably couldn't do that now. <laughs> yeah. Not so like tongue in cheek. Like we'd yeah. have to be like, OK, like this is bad. Yeah. But they're just like, yeah, they're just going to put the Muslim kid in it and blame it on him. And like, I was like, oh, wow. Like this whole thing is just wild, man. Yeah, <laughs> it gets it gets crazy. At the end, Operation Honeymoon. There's always a precocious child, or at least usually a precocious child. In this case, the daughter who was also in The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Well, she. I know that she comes back for both The Nice Guys and Iron Man 3. That same actress? She's, in this, she's not like a star, but she's like, think like, 10th or 12th build in The Nice Guys and like 30th or something in Iron Man 3 but she has like both character names have both characters have character names it's not like flight attendant number 2 or whatever right like oh, it's wow. interesting so that's, but that's she comes interesting. back it's almost like it, it's like if there's a Shane Black cinematic universe she's the uh 
the thread that pull, holds it all together. Well, I know that he came under fire in recent years, Shane Black, because he has a friend, like, he, okay, I don't remember the details of this, and I didn't look it up, but I, so I'm, I'm going to be vague about this. Shane Black was not part of, like, cancel culture. Like, he was not canceled, but he had a, he had a friend or an actor he's cast in a bunch of things who I think was, like, accused or convicted or something of sexual assault, like, some, like, horrific crime, either served his time or whatever, or, like, maybe was just accused and nothing came of it, but there's this guy who, like, is in Shane's, Shane Black's orbit who is kind of of shady, shitty okay. behavior, whatever, but Shane Black cast him in The Predator, and people were like, you can't, like, what do you, you can't do that, man, but he's like, he's like, a, he's a friend, right? Like, he, it's like, it's one of those where it seems like he's loyal to people for better or worse, so it kind of makes sense to have this girl who's, like, mm. this precocious young girl, to your point, Larson, the archetypal precocious young child in your movie be like hey you know like i need a part like it's just like a three lines and like a background of an, a marvel movie but like hey you're in a fucking marvel movie right like it feels like he's the kind of guy who brings people back it seems like I, I do want to point out that he came under fire i think specifically for the predator because like i don't think like he's not been canceled but it's just one of those things where it's like eh, eh, eh. it's hard to find literally anyone in hollywood that doesn't make you go eh, eh, right. <laughs> on some level but yeah i mean there's always a precocious kid in a Shane Black movie sort of to give one of the main characters kind of humanity. And I really like her relationship with with the daughter in this. It really it really gives more stakes to the story. I do, too. I like the development of it, of like that she goes from being like a great mom taking care of the daughter to being like, no, I'm a CIA agent. Fuck that kid. Fuck them kids. Yeah. And then goes back and be like, oh, no, wait, I'm still her mom. Like, I think you need to do it because I think you need to humanize her because if you don't, if you have her just like ice the kid, like there's no way to root for her. Like the fact that she's still like part of her humanity, the, the housewife persona, the mother persona is still in her. Like without that, like, especially as a leading woman in a movie, like in an action movie, you wouldn't be able to root for her. Like, people would be like, oh, like, fuck that bitch, right? But, like, because she doesn't turn her back on her daughter is still, like, a good mom, even though she tries to break away, it gives you reason to root for her. I think that's necessary, both in the type of movie and in this time, and just to have a woman in the lead. I think you need to do that. And yeah. I like that they, they went this way instead of her being like, no, keep her distant from me now that I've changed. You know what I mean? Like, her being like, no, fuck that, I didn't want this kid, is actually a better way to go up down and back than it is for her to be like i'm shielding the child from my dangerous past life and then rekindle part of what makes their relationship work and and like i said about her relationship with samuel jackson is that the real charlie baltimore is somewhere in the middle you know it's somewhere in between the cia badass and the clueless housewife throughout the movie she kind of comes to terms with that I think that's kind of what makes this movie one of the things I love about this movie. Yeah. The final thing on the list is Christmas. Of course. You know, most, if not all, Shane Black movies have some element of Christmas, and there are lots of of people who have talked about why he puts Christmas in his action movies, and the biggest reason is the juxtaposition of this time of calm and peace and a crazy action film. And I think this movie, there are so many great ways that he sort of uses Christmas as a background. One of the biggest ones is the, uh, the ice skating shootout. It's like, how do I take this action movie? How do I take this, this action set piece and make it Christmassy? 
you know, she's skating across a pond, sure. You know, the opening shootout, the Christmas lights that she slides down on the bridge. You know, there are so many great moments. What, 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 uh, what Christmassy moments do you guys remember? I think using the carolers as, like, the first cover for the fight was really nice. You're right. He intertwines the Christmas themes very, very well to match going through an action movie sequence. So, like, using carolers was great. I do like the sliding down the lights. That's one of my most memorable moments. No, I think this is probably maybe his, like, least Christmassy one. Like, I don't... It just kind of... It's just like a winter movie. Like, I, I love that it is a Christmas movie, but, like, I don't know that it necessarily needs to take place at Christmas. I think what you pointed out, there's a little bit in the beginning, a little bit at the end, a little bit in the middle, but it's kind of more just winter. But I love that it's a Christmas movie just because, again, you know, like Larson's the juxtaposition but i feel compared to the other movies he's done it feels like there's more sort of tis the season of it all than this but i still you know of course always love throwing christmas into any kind of movie where it doesn't belong question mark? <laughs> yes. yes yeah one of the other things i was thinking of was that the movie kind of opens with her in a christmas parade in the end there's a car chase through a small town christmas parade yeah i, I kind of love the idea of you know, these marching bands and these lame local floats and then having people shooting Uzis all around them. Just good stuff. But uh, but yeah, that's my my uh, Shane Black checklist. Uh, and, and I think this movie really hits all of them. Most of them better than any other Shane Black movie. I would I would agree. I think especially framed within that context of that list, I think this checks off literally all the boxes. Yeah, it's wonderful. I have some trivia about this, but Joe, any other thoughts, any other scenes or any fascinations that you found that yeah, you mentioned? Yeah, I had a ton of fascinations for this movie that I wasn't expecting. Oh yeah. And like the first one like we see the opening shot and we see that shot of a charm bracelet and I was like, "Oh man, it'd be really cool if the charm bracelet was kind of like the necklace in Fast and the Furious." And it turns out it kind of is. It's not as multidimensional, but it definitely does come back and has a purpose for sure. It changes hands. It has a purpose. It's mul- it, it definitely it's the key to the lockbox and the charm bracelet. Wait, can I ask you guys a question? Because I haven't watched the last few uh, Fast and Furious movies that much. But does the necklace, and it just seems perfect that this would be the case, does the, the necklace have some kind of like hacker code in it not yet it had a tracking device in it dom solder is a tracking chip to it in fate of the furious okay okay. that to find the plane it's just a symbol of love and family and relationship oh i i mean yeah i just figure like eventually it's gonna come out that like you've got to plug the necklace into some supercomputer into a usb drive yeah i think not yet not yet and maybe dom's brother could have like done that in the past i don't know i don't know yeah we're not there yet but it's it's gotta be coming but yes the MacGuffin of the uh of the necklace is great i liked when the scene where she first like uh after she hits the deer which by the way we don't hit any animals we talked about this before there's very little animals in fast and furious but like (laughs) how have they never like driven into a deer before right like but after she hits the deer um she's looking in the mirror and looking at her own scars and trying to remember where they came from and I was like, this is a very Letty moment, if not yeah. my most Letty moment of the movie. There are a lot of Letty connect. I mean, I-, I wasn't really thinking about it when I suggested this for the Letty lap. I just knew it was about memory loss and had a female protagonist, but there are a lot of Letty moments with her. Forgetting that you were married 
about to be married and Operation Honeymoon and, and remembering your honeymoon on the surface and using those words is a very Letty thing as well. So like when I was watching this and because we've been watching so many Michelle Rodriguez movies, I was like seeing these kind of connections all over the place. I think the last connection that I have that was like when I knew that this movie was for me and we get a touch of it at the beginning and a touch of it at the end. Do you know what I'm going to say, Joey? Larry King saying, um, and I quote, Pittsburgh native Mitch Hennessy. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. And earlier in the movie, he's standing outside. Like when you first see Samuel Jackson, he's like on the like a payphone or something. And behind him is a giant Steelers flag. So I was like. That was it. That, that was. This is. This is perfect. <laughs> Pittsburgh's own Mitch Hennessy. There's a major one that we've even referenced that you did not mention. That what Samuel Jackson gets ejecto cedo cuzzed twice. That she oh, throws him out of a moving car. And he lies right. on the ground smoking a cigarette till she comes around <laughs> and picks him up. And then when he's in the chair, when she breaks out of the freezer using her daughter's like dolly urine, I think she maybe filled with kerosene from the previous room. Yes. 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 And then uses the match to like explode the entire building effectively he gets literally ejecto cedo cuzzed out of a window in the chair and the blowing up the building is very blowing up 1327 right i mean the whole ending was was very much uh fast and furious had a had a very fast and furious feel to it there would have been more cars involved but the whole idea of like a tanker truck with a bomb on a bridge oh yeah it all felt very F and F to me. Sliding on its side, we've seen that in Fast and the Furious before. Like yeah. the tanker truck turns over and skid, like skids sideways. Yeah, yeah, out of control tanker. That that took me back too. Now that I think about it, there was a car involved in that, and it's when Samuel Jackson drives like this like early 90s sedan as the getaway (laughs) car and i love the fact that it's like this badass action sequence with these enormous explosions and he's driving like a like a a chrysler lebaron yep that's (laughs) what i thought it was too yeah like a chevy corsica or something and he's (laughs) It's so great. And we get the shot of him driving out of the fire like Dom Toretto, right? Like the fire behind him and like the cars coming through it. So Yeah, yeah. This movie's a weird middle ground between like lots of car scenes and then cutting away from scenes that we I wish we saw, which I guess is just to keep it to that two hour runtime, but like she's like, Okay, we gotta get to the phone company in thirteen minutes and then like we just cut to the phone company. I'm like, no, I wanna see her driving a little bit, right? Like for so much of the movie to take place with like car action scenes to like not go like the extra inch, not even extra mile, like the extra inch and like show a little bit more. I was like, oh, we're like, we're almost there. Right. But you know, yeah, we're very, very close. It's a road trip movie. You know, I, I, another thing that I, I love is that between, you know, they go from place to place. They either meet an interesting character or get involved in a shootout or both. And then they're back on the road. They're in a different car every time. And they never really explain how they got whatever car they're in. It's pretty It's pretty great. Any other thoughts? Any other scenes we want to talk about? I have some trivia. And then I want to, of course, watch the trailer and then play the Letterboxd game. But Larson, any other notes that you want to share? Anything else? Because I feel like your list did a kind of an unconventional route through the movie. But I feel like yes. we covered almost all the movie but uh anything else you want to mention about the long kiss good night no i mean it's my favorite shane black movie it's it's probably my favorite christmas action movie even more so than die hard god forgive me it's great i love it it's well written it's it's well acted the action scenes are amazing i forget the name of the actor but he's the the villain in this is so good you know this maniacal bug-eyed slick 
smooth-talking psycho. I fucking love this movie. I agree. I'm putting this into my Christmas action movie rotation. It was delightful. I can't believe I've never seen it before, and I talked to all my friends about it immediately when I finished it, so thank you for bringing this to us. Awesome. So the original script, the original version for this was going to be much darker. There were going to be some alternate action scenes and more violence where like, where, ca- where they're captured and tortured. They also have bigger backstories. Mitch, at one point, the Samuel Jackson character, tells Charlie how he was gang-raped in prison cool. and how his wife refuses to let him see his son because of what happened to him. Ooh. And Charlie has a darker backstory, too. It's like, I don't think we need any of that. Like, we nope. get it. Like, things nope. are bad. We yeah. don't need that. I mean, he does have a great moment where he talks about jail. It's very brief, but you get it. You get it. Like, he was like, you understand that some dark shit happened and he's not going back. And that's it. That's all he has to say. That's. I think that's the best way to do it because it's just like, leave it into your own imagination. It's perfect. This shouldn't come as a surprise, but at one point, New Line Cinema considered turning the lead character into a male, which would just make this, like, that would make this movie, not, I don't want to say forgettable, but like, you don't need it. Like, it's just like, oh, yeah, yep. what's that one? It's like, oh, it's a Christmas action movie. Is that what? But like, the, you're like, oh, Gina Davis is a badass. Like, I get that. When they were considering that they thought about Steven Seagal or Stallone which again would have been like cool what? yeah alright like, Steven whatever. Seagal is like an all American dad who you know no so there's a female rapper and Murder Inc. recording artist Tiffany Lane uses the name Charlie Baltimore as her moniker and she was uh, a lover of Notorious B.I.G. who had a re- had a song called Long Kiss Goodnight on his 97 album Live Life After Death. So, oh, that's ooh. really cool. I knew I, that makes sense now. Joe, I saved this one for you specifically. Please. In the beginning of the movie, when Samuel L. Jackson is like posing as a vice detective and like he's in with that prostitute and like splitting the profits and like I know who it is. A guy. Yep. So the other people that are with him. Yep. Are detectives from CSA Miami, CSI New York. Yep people in frequency and then like just like all these cops from other movies are just like cast as bums and like you know the prostitute had been an actor like a cop in something and he's played a negotiator like and like everybody in that scene is just like a cop they're just half of them aren't really cop like none of them are cops right they're yes. just like playing a cop on tv essentially yeah whenever i saw her i was like oh my god rachel it's the lady from svu and then she was like no it's not svu it's csi new york and i was like yes that's what i was thinking oh was like, yeah my my wife Alyssa, she she was like i know her from somewhere yeah she's just one of those actors yeah csi new york i'm sure is exactly what it was yeah yeah and then two other notes this is the first movie to feature samuel L. jackson helping an amnesiac woman to discover her past do either of you know what the other movie where he helps an amnesiac oh. woman discover her past is Ooh. it's probably one of the most successful movies he's ever been in very mm. recent captain marvel captain marvel uh. there you go and apparently in the original version of the script uh he died his character died and test audiences were like no we don't want that so yeah. they uh, rewrote it so that he lived and i guess he you know went on larry king so that was his his big win at the end it was very sin city how like they were both shot multiple times in serious areas and they just end up fine after some bandages very very old school you know kind of hard-boiled detective stuff i also like that we didn't have to address the like the oh we have to get you to the hospital or anything it was like injured and then all of a sudden healthy like we were just (laughs) skip that part we don't fucking care yeah don't stop the movie let's just keep going these two are such badasses they're like wolverine exactly 
And they don't even, like, show themselves treating their own wounds. They just nope. kind of self-heal. Like, the one part, like, he has a band-aid on his side, and she's like, hey, look at this, and she flashes him and then rips off the band-aid. Like, that's the only time, I think, in the entire movie that we show any kind of, like, are they bandaging wounds up? It's just like, oh, no, she was sliced in the side and shot in the stomach, but she's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, exactly. Sam, in that scene, Samuel Jackson has, like, an open wound on his chest, yep. and, and he's smoking a cigarette, and she's like, let me get you a drink. It's like, yeah. that's probably not the course of action. Like, it <laughs> should be, let me get you some antibiotics. Yeah, definitely. Let us watch the trailer for this movie. This is posted by classic Arcade Shopper, of course. Why would why would Arcade Shopper not have the most viewed Long Kiss Goodnight trailer on YouTube? It has 1.1 million views Long Kiss Goodnight trailer. Everybody ready? Yeah. Three, two, one, play. Ooh, encoded by Guiboshay. Yeah. Presented by Movie List. I, I'm sure that those were in the uh, theaters too. <laughs> very, right? very Inside. legit. Very legit. New Line Cinema. Yeah. God, she's she's such an adorable mom too. Like I can't remember Agreed. where the kitchen is. Like it just it's wonderful. Yeah, like I said, their relationship is is great. Oh, they have like movie voice guy too. Or your last goodbye. There were a couple scenes in here, like there's the one in the trailer where it's like, oh, we need to see her almost naked, right? Like it's almost like the machete Jessica Alba in the in the shower that was CGI'd yes. out some clothes, but like, oh, we're in Atlantic City now, like let's show her almost naked. It's like, cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are a lot of sexy parts in this. You know, they had to kind of do that, I guess, unfortunately. Here's the big the big shootout from the beginning. They even play the, the fucking CSI New York music in this. Yeah, so there's the uh, patriarch of the Roy family in the HBO series Succession, Brian Cox. Oh, he's great in this. Even though his part is a lot smaller than I remember. But... White House, the CIA, all this stuff. I do like the grenade scene a lot. That's great. I mean, I, I remember seeing a commercial for this when I was a kid where she jumps out the window and shoots the, the ice, and I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, exactly. She does the action woman sequence really well too, like the hand-to-hand fighting and stuff. Like it all oh, looks that great. Thing, that thing with the shot glass—that it's moved. the weirdest thing. Oh my god, that was. Well, Gina Davis. I mean, part of the reason why she was going to be the ne- the big female action star is because she does most of her own stunts. Ah, makes sense. Yeah, the shot glass, she, like, picks up, like, a normal shot glass and, like, rolls it to the tip of her finger and, like, takes it like that and then, like, rolls it through, like, up her arm and drops it. I'm like, I don't know why you have to make this so difficult. Just, like, drink the shot. That's, but, like, that's what I thought. I was like, this is the least... Cool. This is This is the least interesting shot trick I've ever seen in my life. Like, she didn't, like, put it on a knife and, like, flip it into her mouth or something. It was like, what is this? In the trailer, it shows her jumping from a moving Santa sled onto a car. I don't think that was in the movie. That trailer is okay, but, like, it's kind of underwhelming. It was it was what I expected. It was exactly what I expected. It showed the bridge blowing up at the end. I mean, it, it yeah. hit all the right beats. Or, as, you know, we say in Cruise Club, it's got all the right moves. <laughs> Watching this, uh, if you watch it knowing that Gina Davis is doing most of her own stunts, you really get a, a better appreciation for it. And there's one scene where, like, she's assembling the gun 
she she finds all the pieces of the gun yep. and she's yep. snapping it all together in rapid succession and you only see her hands and i'm like oh well obviously they you know hired some female marine to assemble the gun and then they're going to cut to a close up of Gina Davis but no it pans up and it's been her the whole time yeah, um, yeah. so it's it's pretty cool knowing that she went through the trouble to figure out how to put that gun together like a badass yeah for sure the letterbox game. So for reference sake, Mad Max Fury Road, one of the most popular films on Letterbox, has been seen by 682,000 people. The Long Kiss Goodnight from 1996, directed by Rennie Harlan. Gina Davis, Samuel L. Jackson, Yvonne Zima, and Craig Bierko has been seen by how many people? Do you want to go first, Larson, or do you want to well, go second? So wait, the number one is how many? Mad Max is 680,000. Inception's almost a million. This game is wildly difficult. Do not feel like you need to be anywhere close. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big letterbox fan, other than the fact that I know what most of their user base is like. Yeah. Uh, and because of that, I'm going to say it's probably higher than you'd think because of the female protagonist and all that but it's also an action movie so uh, i don't know i'm going to go i'm going to go 175 i'm i'm really unfamiliar like i said with letterbox 175 sure i'll say 15 you're both a little too low you got to go higher okay 21 seven, 21 21000 uh 22 larson is closer it's 23113 okay 23 he uh, prices right as you, bitch. Yeah, he got me. <laughs> One dollar, Bob. Oh, what did you say? Twenty-two thousand. I said twenty-two thousand and one. Okay, cool. Very cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So, out of those twenty-three thousand people, average rating of three point three two. Most common rating of three, then a three and a half, then a four. But I will say that the lowest rating that any of the eight friends that I have on Letterbox have given it was a three and a half, and like most common is a four or more. So, like the people I am friends with, they get it. But out of those twenty-three thousand people. How many people have this in their top four favorite movies of all time? I'm going to guess a number that I think is high for this movie, and I'm going to go 25. Uh, I'll say 10. You're both too low. Okay. Um, 42. 50. You're both too high. <laughs> 37, that's it. 35. Oh, Larson, you should have dollared him because it's 38. Oh. 38 people have this in their top four. I don't know if these are 38 people that always have it in their top four. They're like, hey... Let's throw it's my Christmas. four favorite Christmas movies or whatever, but okay. yeah. have in their top four. See, that's the thing. It's like I would have to give a top four for like different genres. You know, that's what be, I think too, buddy. Yep, it'd be with a you. lot harder for me to put a top four of all time than it would be to do like top four comedies, top four horror, top four sci-fi. You know. Yep. I went to a bunch of different profiles and I want to see because sometimes people are like, "These are the, my top four. The four movies that I've most recently seen that I gave four stars or more to. The top four of my four sure. favorite Christmas movies. My four favorite that like have a poster that's mostly purple. Like it's just whatever. Like, but the yeah, people yeah. that I clicked on didn't have any of those disclaimers. So just it might just be their favorite movies. I don't what know. What are what are some of the other ones in their top four for the ones? Well, that's we're going to play that game right now. So <laughs> oh, we're going to go to Andy oh. Elijah's profile, who said they just don't make them like this anymore, huh? Nonstop entertaining action set pieces gina davis as ultimate badass hilariously self-aware shane black script slj as superfly meets jake giddis moderately intriguing commentary on nature versus nurture and the 90s villain as more psychopathic than physically threatening four stars but yeah. it's in his top wow. four so okay who knows okay. Well so said. andy elijah well who is a musician film lover and writer for Cinema76.com, which I feel like Cinema76, is that where our past guest 
Philadelphia writes too? I feel like I know this site. Yeah, maybe. It sounds familiar to me as well. It's Philadelphia stuff. Let's see here. Contributors. Do I want to? Yeah, Garrett Smith. Yeah, very, very cool. Okay. So yeah, so this is a contemporary of ours, sort of. Andy Elijah, this is his second favorite movie of all time. His first and his third have direct links to this movie behind the scenes. Behind the scenes. Yeah, so not actors. Cutthroat Island. (laughs) No, No, but you're you're close. Nice Guys? Nice Guys is number one. Okay. Die Hard 2? Die Hard 2 is number three. Okay, wow. There you go. Thanks, Larson. Good And then number four is a movie that I have not seen that I would imagine that Larson has maybe seen. I don't know. But it is another holiday movie with a great pun as the title. Pun as the title. Okay. Might be an action movie, I'm guessing. Maybe. Jingle all the way? (laughs) No. The genres for this are horror, drama, and thriller. It's from 1980. And as a Christmas pun. Holiday Mm -hmm. themed pun title. A toy factory worker mentally scarred as a child. Silent Night, Deadly Night. No, but no. that's you're you're in the ballpark ish. Oh. A toy factory worker mentally scarred as a child upon learning Santa's not real, spoilers, suffers a nervous <laughs> breakdown after being belittled at work and embarks on a Yuletide killing spree. What is it? Well, shit. Whatever it is, it's on my list now. It's a movie called Christmas Evil. Okay. Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. Which is available, it looks like, for free on Shudder, on Voodoo Free, and on Showtime. So if you want to stream it, there's plenty of ways you can get it for free or for very low cost. Christmas Evil, directed by Lewis Jackson. Interesting. Wow. Okay. But yeah, thank you. Shout out to Andy Elijah. There's, he's not listening, but there's a non zero (laughs) percent chance that he's listening because maybe Garrett was like, hey, I'm on this podcast. He's like, this is my favorite podcast. (laughs) I'm never going to let anybody know that I listen to it. But Andy Elijah, if you are listening, good taste. And boy, do we have a podcast for you. Go check out Boyfriend Material, where we talked about the nice guys and gushed about it with yep, Mr. Wake Manzi. Larson, thank you so much for joining, for supporting us on Patreon, and for picking this movie. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's been a long time. I've, I've gotten to chat with some other uh, Cage Club folks uh, over the, the course of the past few months, but it's, it's always great to talk with you two. Well, thank you it's so much. Is there anything that you would like to plug... Or anything that you would want to promote, or anywhere that people can find you on the internet. Well, I've I've been very busy uh, recently. I'm a reporter for my local paper called the River Journal Online, uh, which you can which you can read at riverjournalonline.com. I just wrote a great story about uh, the mayor of Briarcliff Manor who wants to uh, renovate a dangerous stretch of highway that runs through his town. <laughs> so if, if local politics uh, excites you, check me out there. My my wife and I are also in the process of maybe starting a movie theater in the town of Peekskill, New York. Um, it, it's, it's very much in the infancy stages, and obviously nothing's going to happen until after the corona times, but it's called The Starlight. Uh, you... You can probably find that by Googling it. We did a Kickstarter recently to get our architectural architectural drawings, and it's great. And there's going to be more stuff coming out, so definitely check that out. And if you're in the Hudson Valley and you need an event planner uh, in this time when no one's holding events at all, <laughs> CaptainGoodTimes.com, C-A-P-N-GoodTimes.com. I also do a remote movie night every week that's uh, kind of... Uh, to encourage people to get takeout from local small businesses and things. But even if you don't live in the area, 
you can tune in every Wednesday night. This coming Wednesday, we'll be watching Gremlins uh, from 1984, and it's just a really cool event. So, well, so I think so. This episode's going to come out on Friday. So, is okay. Gremlins still available? The next Wednesday, which I believe is the 23rd, from yep. when this comes out, we're going to be watching television Christmas specials. So, oh, cool! Uh, well, the Grinch. Cool. Uh, Charlie Brown, all that stuff. I think what we're going to do is I, I have a whole bunch of them on my hard drive and we're just going to have people say, people vote on what they want to watch. So that's cool. Be cool. Very, very cool. Well, thank you so much. Um, do you have any other thoughts before we come back? Oh, we have to announce, we have to announce next week's stuff. I forgot. Go watch this movie. It was a blast. And I think a lot of you that listen would really like it if you haven't seen it. Or maybe I'm the only one who hasn't seen it. So if not, then just <laughs> laugh at me for not seeing it till now. Yeah, I don't know. It feels like the kind of movie that like people in the know know, but yes. people might not know. And I had seen this, you know, forever ago and seen it a couple times since, so I knew about it, but, yeah. but next week, okay. Okay. On Tuesday. We are doing our thing, we are doing our tune up lap seven, where we are saying goodbye to Nico and Kevo. So sad. So, so sad. But welcoming in our guest for all next laps. So we'll meet that person next episode on Tuesday. Cool. Then on Friday, on Christmas Day, we are releasing a movie. So this is a movie that I think was mentioned on a podcast. It might have just been when we weren't recording. But about a year ago, when Kara was on for her driving school lap. Yes. She told us about a movie that she had seen called Noel with Paul Walker. And yes. it's a Christmas movie that she thought was <laughs> terrible. Isn't it like vignettes to like New Year's Eve too? I don't know. I very think, possibly. I think it's just like there, you I know, think there were a lot of people in this movie. I think it's one of these movies that like when we watch Christmas or New Year's Eve and it's like Zeph's in it for like three seconds. You know what I mean? Like everybody's in like one scene. So we're gonna find out what it's all about because <sighs> on Friday we're watching Noel and if you wanna follow along, you can watch it. So just imagine a service that legally shows movies for free with commercials <laughs> and this is there. It's on Crackle, it's on Tubi, it's on Voodoo, and it's on Pluto. So wherever Perfect. you wanna watch this movie, go watch it with ads. On Friday, on Christmas Day, we are releasing the Chaz Palminteri film, oh my Noel, God. Really? in 2004. <laughs> That'll be a Christmas miracle wrapped up under my tree. And I will say, <laughs> speaking of Christmas miracles, I was like, Kara, would you like to join us for this movie that you told us about? She's like, I never want to see that movie again. We were like, cool, got it, good, we're good. <laughs> yep. She was like, absolutely no. Like, it wasn't even like a stutter or anything. She was like, I don't want to think about that movie ever again. So Nope. Yeah. Next Friday, Noel, Christmas Day, talking Noel. But yeah. So thanks again, Larson. But for all things Too Fast, Too Forever, go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash Too Fast, Too Forever, or at Too Fast, Too Forever on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, family at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon page at Too Fast, Too Forever.com and our store at TooFast2Forever.shop, and come back on Tuesday as we tune up, relap, and recap with Nico and Kevo and welcome in next lap's guest. She's going to be with us all lap long. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe, too. And that was Christian Larson, a.k.a. Captain Good Times, a.k.a. Mr. Christmas, and we'll tell you all about it. We see you.